This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hi everybody, my name's Graham and I'm an alcoholic. The AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and to help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. Politics, organisation or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and to help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Graham. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model, and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you are at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions, or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink and this makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9.
and we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So, Graham, welcome to the show. Thank you. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are? Um, how old are you and how long have you been sober? Yes, thank you. Yes, my name's Graham and I am an alcoholic and uh, my sobriety date is the 22nd of October 1988. Um, my age, I'm uh, 69, I'm not going to say 70 because I'm not there yet. <laughs> Excellent. A little bit to go yet. Excellent. All right. Well, welcome. Thank you. So tell us um, a little bit about your uh, home life. Do you have, uh, so are you married, family, children? Well, home life's always fun to talk about, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I am married. And uh, it's great now. It's not the, uh, the wife that I was married to originally. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually separated after 20 years. Right. And, uh, and divorced. Uh, since then, she has passed away. Mm -hmm. uh, I have remarried. And, uh, and one of the things I do like about uh, recovery is that I'm able to have relationships with people, not just my wife, but with people generally. Because mm. that's some area of my life I really struggled with. I just right. felt like a square peg in a round hole. Mm. Didn't fit in with anyone or anything. Mm. And today I'm able to be in a relationship and act in it and for me to act in an adult way within that relationship. Mm, that's mm. wonderful. So tell us a little bit about um, what it was like growing up. Yeah, well, I have to admit, I had a pretty good childhood. There's nothing wrong with it. I was uh, given a lot of freedoms. Um, it wasn't until later on I realised those freedoms were given because my mother didn't really want to be a mother and she just let mm. us go, you know. So... There was a lot of things missing in my life growing up. There's no nurturing. There's no love. There's nothing. I was never told by my parents, either parents, mother or father, they loved me. Um, that didn't make me drink. It's just the way it was, mm. you know. Um, but we had tremendous freedoms. We had what appeared on the outside, a functioning family unit, but it was very dysfunctional. There was no interaction with people. There's no expression of feelings you weren't allowed to get angry you just weren't allowed to talk about things you know sure. and uh, I often look back at that and I tried when I got sober with my own family I had four children I tried to like I think we all try to do we just try to do better than our parents mm. did you know mm. Mm. And, uh, and with sobriety I was able to do that I was I really really struggled when I was still drinking but when I got sober I was found I was able to be a better parent Mm. and talk to them and tell my children. I didn't tell my children I loved them either. You know, that's a crazy thing. Mm. It wasn't until later on in my recovery, not too late, luckily, but I started to tell my children I love them. I still do that today. Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's that's amazing. So, so Graham, tell me about, you know, how did you first get introduced to alcohol and what was that like? <laughs> I think, can you introduce a six-year-old to alcohol? Not mm. really, can you, but it's around you. Mm. I had a fascination for alcohol. Now, don't ask me where I got this from. I have no idea. Alcoholism was not in my family, in my immediate mm -hmm. family, my parents. It's certainly in my uncles and aunties and grandparents, but not in my parents. Mm. But at the age of, say, eight and nine, I, I can remember 
riding my bike past the breweries and <laughs> just looking inside the breweries and smelling it and loving it and wow. liking that. And I'd go downtown and I'd, in those days, getting back a bit now, in those days, the hotels were all behind frosted glass mm-hmm. and you couldn't see inside them, but they had little writing writings on the frosting and I could see through. And I used to look in there. I couldn't wait <laughs> to get in there. I couldn't wait, you know, and this is, yeah. a, goodness me, I was, I was nine and t- ten, you know, it's ridiculous yeah. when I think of it. My grandfather used to brew beer, and I used to love going up to see him, and I'd help him skim the uh, froth <laughs> off the top, and love the smell of the homebrew. Oh, God, I was, a, I was an alcoholic in waiting, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I was an alcoholic in waiting. So, t- you know, tell us about, you know, when did you start drinking, and, and how did it progress from there? I started drinking around 14 or 15 mm-hmm. when I gained some financial independence. I used to do a uh, paper round, mm-hmm. and I used to spend my money on alcohol. Wow. And you got to remember, too, it wasn't so easy back in those days to get, get alcohol, but we found a way of doing it. I couldn't front up at a hotel and buy it. Mm. Way too young. Even though I looked older, still way too young. So we used to order it on the uh, delivery, home deliveries, and they'd I'd get a mate to order it, and he'd bring it around. And I don't know why. I, there was no such thing as casual drinking. Sure. I drank to get drunk, as yep. simple as that. Why, I don't know. It's just the way I was. Did the others around you do the same? Or did you find no. that you were alone in that? Yeah, very alone in that. The others were getting on with what 14- and 15-year-old boys should be doing mm. and know. and so as you progressed into early adulthood um what you know what was that like and did the you know did the drinking main did you maintain that same style of drinking well that led me especially the early years it was pretty messy when you're that age alcohol has a heck of an impact on you a lot of blackouts and a very messy mm. sort of time I learned to get some manageability around that. So I stopped. When I say manageability, I stopped making so much mess. Mm. I still drank to uh, blackout as often as I could. Mm -hmm. But um, I did it at times where I wasn't going to make an idiot of myself. uh, But it continued on. And uh, I I think as I I was working by now, of course, and I was getting my own income, and uh, I saw it as my right to drink with Mm. the guys, with the men. Mm. And I become one of the boys, you know. We'd go out hunting and doing all this sort of stuff that men do, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and got drunk every and, possible and time. So I guess were there any consequences? Um, you know, any lost jobs? You've mm. mentioned relationships earlier. You know, loss of relationships, trouble with the law. Now, any trouble. With the law I had was when I was 15, I was arrested for drunken disorderly. <laughs> That's the only time I've had any issue with the law. I, dr- I used to drink and drive a lot mm. later, especially later on, mm. and uh, but I never got caught. You know, that you know, it's a horrible time. I look mm. back at that and I think, oh my god, you know, I used to put my kids in my car. I remember I was playing squash, and I went to a uh, squash club up in. Uh, up in the Waikato, and uh, I thought, I'll take my kids. That will stop me drinking. No, it did not. Wow. 
I don't even remember leaving that club. And I had the three kids in the car with me. A horrible, horrible memory, you know. So there were certain things you tried to stop. So I guess the question is, did you at any point think it was a problem and try to stop? I had a period of a health spree for about a number of weeks, I don't know how many now, Mm. where I was, I'd go to the pub and say, no, no, I'm uh, I'm getting fit and trying to lose weight and all that jazz. And uh, I stayed off it maybe for two, maybe three, maybe four weeks, I don't know. Okay. But I never really thought, I knew I had a drinking problem, but I thought that's all it was and I had to just sort it out. Mm. Sure. Just, yeah, Okay. And um, so describe for us, you know, what some people call their rock bottom or or what was it that made you realise, okay, this has got to change and I guess ultimately what brought you into recovery? At the age of 33, I was drinking a lot of alcohol. I knew at that time that I had definitely had a drinking problem and I, uh, I could not manage it. I knew that once I started drinking, I'd drink to blackout, mm-hmm. and I was starting to lose control over when I drank. So I said to myself, come on, Graham, get your act together, um, and control this drinking or cut it down. Mm-hmm. And at that time, my drinking took off exponentially, and uh, the amount of alcohol I was consuming really frightened me for health and mental reasons. Mm. Yeah, And that continued for another three years until I was really was. But Wilson talks about the jumping off point and his uh, book, as, as Bill sees it. And that's where I was. I was at the jumping off point, just wanting to end it. Mm. Had a problem with alcohol, unable to stop, didn't know what to do. Mm. Couldn't live with it, couldn't live without it. That's right. And I haven't mentioned the home life. I mean, that was absolute chaos. Absolute really? chaos, yeah. And so I guess you had other outside factors that were, were intervening? And and you're drinking and telling you that this isn't this isn't normal. Yeah, I was brought up. Well, I knew what I should be doing for my family, but I was dropping the ball. Mm-hmm. I was not doing what I should be doing for my family, let alone for myself. Mm-hmm. Not doing what I should be doing for my wife, and I was just failing mm-hmm. in all those areas. Mm-hmm. I had a very responsible job, and I was starting to make errors of judgment there. And people were saying, "What the bloody hell's wrong with you?" Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't tell them I'm that shattered from mm. two or three nights of heavy drinking mm. that I can't get my mind to work properly, you know. So what was it that brought you into your first AA meeting? I think I'd finally come across something which I had no control over and I knew I had to ask for help from somewhere. And I worked with a guy, Jack, who had stopped drinking, gone to Alcoholics Anonymous, and stopped drinking about 10 years beforehand. And I watched him stay sober through that period of time. So when it got bad enough, I think I knew deep down where to go to get the help that I needed. So I picked up the phone and ran, rang Alcoholics Anonymous. Wow. It didn't help that I got the alcoholic's wife on the phone who was one of those staunch Al-Anon people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I says... I just hung up on her and I said, right, you B, don't tell me what I should be doing or compare yep. me to your alcoholic husband. Right. <laughs> I put the phone down and I immediately went to, well, actually I'll tell you where I went, I actually went 
I was up in the Hamilton Way and I went to the uh, Gang Hotel in Narawahia. Now, wow. for a white fella to do that, that's really, really, yeah. really silly. And after a while, I'd have had a few beers and one of the older members come over and says, it's time you left. Wow. Mm. Wow. And I did. Okay, so tell us about that first meeting. What was it like and what were what were you know, what were the people in the meeting like and how did they treat you? <laughs> well, I walked into my first meeting. It was um, remembering I was still just a problem drinker. I wasn't an alcoholic, mm. that's my view on that. And I walked in there and I listened to these people and some of them were crazy. They'd been around seven and ten years, which was a long time in those days. And I thought, you could never have drunk like me if you've been sober that long. I couldn't imagine anyone mm. like me staying sober for seven days, let alone seven years, mm. you know. And I don't think I was able to listen to anything. I was that emotionally shot. Sure. Well, I did hear some things. And all I remember hearing from that first meeting, don't pick up the first drink. Okay. Come back to meetings. And did you go back? I did, because I thought it was a bit like most things you do. You go back the next week. I didn't realise at that time there was many meetings a, a week, mm. let alone a day. Mm. And uh, I went back the next week, and something had happened because I'd stayed sober for seven days in a row. Wow. I never believed I could ever do that again in my mm -hmm. life. Mm-hmm. So... And so, so if we, you know, we talk about sponsorship being a key part of our of our program. How important has sponsorship been to you? In the early days, because I was full of denial, I thought there's not much I want to talk to these people about. So I never got any sponsorship in the early days. I did it on my own. I white knuckled it, as we said. Mm. I was sober but totally emotionally insane. Mm. And uh, it was very, very difficult. The desire to drink stayed with me, drove me nuts, you know. And uh, so they, initially it was very difficult. What I did learn to do 16 months later, I learned, I admitted I was an alcoholic, I surrendered to the program, the desire to drink was removed at that time, and I started talking to people. Mm. I didn't have a sponsor at that time, but I started talking to people, and that for me was a major step because mm. I didn't talk to people. Mm. I couldn't admit my failings to anyone. And that took you about 18 months? Yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. wow. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you've been sober now for some time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what are some of the things you do to help you cope in times of difficulties today? Yeah. Well... It still comes back to basics for me. It still is. Don't pick up a drink. Mm. Come to meetings. I have since coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, and it took a very long time, I have come to terms with a higher power. I've got my own understanding. Mm. And if I, so I've done AA without a higher power, mm -hmm. and I've done AA with a higher power. Mm -hmm. I know which one I would have today. Mm. When I learned to live with a higher power, I could just feel the burden of life lifted off me. I no longer have to do this on my own. I know it's going to be okay. I know I can get through this. No matter what it is, I know I can get through this. 
instead of thinking, oh, poor me, this has happened to me, you know, it's, what can I do to help others in this situation? Mm. And we do talk about AA being a spiritual program, not mm. a religious program. Yes. And obviously for you that's changed over the years. Um, it's become spiritual. I wouldn't say it's become religious. I haven't picked up religion. I do. I've actually just walked away from another religion mm. again because I always find whether it's a spiritual group or religious group, they always start asking for conformity. They start asking for you to believe in a God of their understanding and they ask for you to become part of their system. Mm. Mm. And, and Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't do that. Exactly, yeah. You know, and, and that's... Um, Maybe Alcoholics Anonymous has ruined me for religion. I don't know. But <laughs> I'm quite happy to take the spiritual messages I get from anyone. Yeah. Mm. And so how would you describe your life today? Oh, mate, it's, uh, it's so totally different, you know. Um, I wake up in the morning and I, I don't have to worry about what I did, where I went, what I said last night. Peace of mind straight away. I Get up and I don't get up in the morning. I do a short period of meditation. I do a daily reading, and then I get into my day. and I just love my life today. Mm. I love it. You know, I have good re- relationships. I mentioned early. Mm. Relationships with people are really good today. Mm-hmm. I've got a great relationship with the people in my life, and my marriage is the best relationship I've ever had. Mm. And uh, it's really crazy. I love this way of living. You know. And that's amazing. Mm. So, Graham, what would you recommend to someone that they could ask them themselves if they think that they might have a problem with drinking? I would say to people, especially men, I just talk from a man's perspective, you know, because we're buggers for asking for help. Mm. And, uh, do, is alcohol a problem for you? You know, can you take a drink and leave it at that? Mm. If you can't ask for help, you know. Mm. Uh, reach out, it's okay. Um, there's a lot of guys around now that we can talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do, I've had sponsors. I've mentioned, you mentioned sponsors earlier. Mm. I have had sponsors throughout my recovery, on and off and on and off. And I've actually got one of the guys, an American guy, back in my life today, which is, he used to be my sponsor for several years. And he's a good, um, big book person. And mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just r- reach out. Don't, don't be backward about it. Come forward. Mm. Absolutely. Well, Graham, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. It's lovely You're to welcome. Ha- lovely to have you here. So for our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the Serenity Prayer 
as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.